0: 7 through 30. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it? They asked. He replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them, so they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you all before I suffer, for I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been de- decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom, just as my Father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones, Judging the twelve tribes of Israel. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning. Happy Easter week to you all. Uh, You can expect an email from us sometime this week. Inviting you to have a conversation at home around the dinner table or the breakfast nook or whatever, however that works at your home uh, about the gospel. And this week we celebrate the good news and um, this is part of our Movements of Grace uh, new initiative that we have every quarter. We're looking at a different uh, ministry outreach that we support last Last quarter, we did, of course, the Venezuelan crisis, and now we're moving towards the Jesus film, so this is going to be connected with the Jesus film, but it'll be an opportunity for you to just have a conversation or just reflect on the good news and how you can be sharing that with people um, in Easter week, so I want to just make you aware of that. Uh, Today's Palm Sunday, obviously, and today we celebrate Christ our King, saying, Hosanna, blessed is the King. Who comes in the name of the Lord. And of course, on this day, we remember the fact that Jesus was not the king that everybody expected. And so our reading this morning is actually not the typical reading of Palm Sunday, but it is um, a scene that happens about three or four days later in the upper room. It is no longer part of the hype and all the fanfare of Jesus riding in on the donkey, but it is now a very quiet and intimate scene with him and his 12 closest friends, his, uh, the apostles, as they're called here. And we see uh, a scene that captures the very essence of the kind of king Jesus came to be, this servant king who, who gives his life for his people and enters into a, a covenant with them through the giving of his life. So we're going to look at this scene today. This is, I think, one of the most moving scenes uh, in the gospels, um, a very intimate scene, as I said, and as I was just thinking and praying about it this week, um, there's so many heavy dynamics present in this scene. I feel like you could just kind of cut it with a knife, the thick, rich dynamics that are going on around this this table here. So I want to talk about that together this morning, and then we're going to celebrate the Lord's table together as a way to conclude our time. Uh, three things I want to do first. I I want to set what Jesus is doing here in the context of the Passover. Uh, and then I want to look at who the disciples are in this passage. And then I want to look at where Jesus heart for them is in this passage. All right. So first, let's set this this scene in its context, set what Jesus is doing within the context of the Passover. You can't understand um, what he's doing here without understanding the history of the Passover and the Passover feast. Jesus echoes language um, of the Passover. He says, I desire to eat this Passover with you. He talks about covenant. He talks about his blood. All of that echoes the Passover story. So if you've never heard it, let me give you a two-minute crash course on the Passover. Um, Passover was one of the three great feasts of Israel that remembers the great act of deliverance that God did for the Israelites in bringing them out of slavery in Egypt. So many of you know this story, but Israel, they had been slaves for 400 years. And then in Exodus it says God heard their cries, he saw their misery, and he came down to rescue them. And he rescues them through these ten mighty acts that we know as the ten plagues of Egypt, demonstrating his superior power over the king of Egypt. And the 10th and final plague was that the angel of the Lord would come through and kill all the firstborn Egyptian males. That plague was poetic justice because Pharaoh had killed all the firstborn uh, uh, Hebrew males. And so that, that, but right before that happens, God tells the Israelites, he says, I'm going to pass through and kill the firstborn males. And so what I want you to do is I want you to take a lamb from your flock, an unblemished lamb, and I want you to slaughter it, sacrifice it, and I want you to take some of the blood of the lamb and put it on the doorpost, the doorframes of your house. All right? And when the angel of the Lord comes through, he will see the blood on the doorpost and he will pass over your house and spare you, your firstborn son. This lamb is a sacrifice. It is a substitute for you. His blood, the lamb's blood, instead of your blood. And I want you to trust in the blood of the lamb that that will spare you, that will keep you um, from the justice of God. And so that's what happens And they do that. And of course, God has that final act and he delivers Israel, rescues them, and brings them out of slavery in Egypt. They pass through the Red Sea, right? And then God brings them out into the desert to Mount Sinai. And there at Mount Sinai, he enters into a covenant with them. This relationship. You will be my people. I will be your God. Let me just give you some of the language um, because Jesus is going to echo some of this. You yourselves, God says at Sinai, you saw what I I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's, eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, If you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession, okay? Now, let me just, that word covenant, Jesus will use that word, that is a relational term, right? I'm entering into a a relationship, a binding relationship with you. You're my treasured possession. The whole world is mine, and that you will be a special people to me, my treasured I'll be your God and you will be my people. We're entering into a covenant together, me and you, God says. And then about five chapters later, God performs this covenantal ceremony with Israel, initiating this new relationship. This is how it goes. Then they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. Then Moses took the book of the covenant, the the Ten Commandments and other laws, and read it to the people, and they responded, we will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. Yeah, right? Right? (laughs) And then here's the initiation. Moses then took the blood from those sacrifices, sprinkled it on the people, and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. It's a covenantal ceremony. Today, we know of the, the covenantal ceremony of marriage. It's called, right, a wedding day, and you exchange rings. As, it's a covenantal ceremony. This was God's covenantal ceremony. I will be your God. You will be my people. This blood that I sprinkle on you, uh, it purifies you. It cleanses you for this relationship, and it marks you as my very own. I'm your God. You're my people, my treasured possession, Okay? So all that to say Passover remembers annually this great moment where God rescued his people out of slavery in Egypt and brought them into this deep and abiding covenantal relationship with himself as his treasured possession. All right? So that's the background to what's happening here. And now Jesus, thousands of years later, is with his 12 closest friends uh, and he is enjoying a Passover meal with them. We call it the Seder meal, right? The, the, then came, this is verse seven, then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. On the very day where the Passover lambs were sacrificed annually, Jesus is now uh, with his friends. Uh, and the, the Seder meal, you, you eat unleavened bread, you drink various cups of wine. And Jesus is walking this meal through with them, but he's infusing it with new meaning and showing how this story all points to himself and to what he is going to do for them. Verse 19, he took bread, this would be unleavened bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup. These would be one of the four cups of the Seder meal, saying, this cup, here's that covenant language, is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So in this upper room, he's going through this meal, and in so many words, he is saying, I am the Passover lamb. (laughs) I am the ultimate Passover lamb. I give my life for you. So that God's justice might pass over you. That you might be spared. You might be forgiven and freed. My blood instead of your blood. Do this in remembrance of me. Trust in what I'm doing. Bank on it. Count on it. That this is what purifies you. And gives you freedom and forgiveness from your slavery to sin. And the judgment that comes from sin. This is a new covenant in my blood because God is forming a new group now, Jew and Gentile. But it is this covenant in my blood just as Moses sprinkled blood on the people that marked them out. So my blood is sprinkled on you. Actually, what's not sprinkled on you, you take it in and drink it. It It is taken into you. It purifies you and it marks you out as my own people, my treasured possession Because we're entering into a covenant together, for better or for worse. And it's a covenant in my blood. Okay, it's this very rich, deep thing that he's doing that's drawing on Israel's history and finding its culmination in what he's about to do at the cross the next day. So you can imagine all the emotion that Jesus is probably feeling. How heavy, how uh, deep and rich this moment would have been, been for him. All right, so that's, that's the context of Passover. Bless you, bless you. Lots of coughs all over. <laughs> Sixth season came late this year because the cold came late this year. Um, so there it is. There's the context. Now let's, let's consider who the disciples are in this deep, rich moment of fellowship with their Lord who's about to give his life to them as the Passover lamb. Uh, let's consider who's in the room uh, in this moment. First, uh, we find out that there is a betrayer in their midst, right after Jesus talks about the covenant in his blood. Look at verse 21. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. Okay? He's saying someone here who I have enjoyed rich, deep table fellowship with is going to betray me. And We all know, of course, that that is Judas. Because Luke told us earlier that Judas would be the one who would betray him. Uh, What was interesting to me this week is to read verse 23. I hadn't really thought through this before. Look at verse 23. Then they began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would ever do this. And what struck me this week was this. To them it is not at all obvious who the betrayer is. You know, and like, we have hindsight. So it's like, oh yeah, of course it's Judas. But no one here is like, oh yeah, of course it's Judas, right? And when I, I always picture Judas, he's kind of this dark, kind of creepy, sinister guy that somehow, you know, right? Kind of just floats around the disciples. And like, I'm thinking it's obvious. It's not obvious to anybody who it is. Because he, just, he looks exactly like all the other, the other 11. right? He's walked with them. He's seen the miracles. He's, he's, uh, he's a good guy. He doesn't look any different. It's not obvious who it is. In fact, he was put in charge of the money, probably because he was known to be a responsible, dependable, trustworthy person. And so that just hit me this week, like, oh man, this guy, this is a good friend of Jesus. He doesn't look dark and sinister and nefarious. He's one of his own. This is a very good friend that Jesus has poured his life into for three and a half years. Who is doing this? And what that must have felt like for Jesus. And any of you who have had a really close friend betray you in some deeply harmful way know what that experience is like. But there's a betrayer in the midst as Jesus is talking about giving his life for his friends. Uh, You got the presence of Peter and what he's about to do uh, later on that night. Look at verse 31. Uh, Jesus addresses him. He calls him by his uh, given name, Simon. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back from stumbling and denying me, strengthen your brothers. And Peter replies in typical Peter fashion, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answers, I tell you, Peter, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. So this is arguably Jesus' closest friend, right? His closest disciple. Uh, Who's going to deny him? In his usual Peter-like fashion, his bravado, his overconfidence, Lord, I would never do that, right? I'd go to death for you. And he totally means it in the moment, right? And then just hours later, he will be saying things like, I don't know who this guy is. He will be swearing. I, I swear, I have no idea who this man is. Just hours later, denying his Lord. Jesus had said, deny yourselves and follow me. And Peter in that moment said, I'm really scared. I'm going to deny my Lord to save myself. And Jesus knows it, it's happening. He's there at the table. So you've got Judas there. You've got Peter there. Uh, and then you have the, the disciples as a whole. And they're quite a crew, I think, on, on this night. Uh, verse 24, a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be greatest. Right? So John's gospel, this is the same night that Jesus washes his disciples' feet. Okay? That's probably already taken place before the meal. They've seen that happen. Uh, Jesus has just talked about on Passover how he's going to give his life for them. And then a, a dispute arises about which of them is greatest. And, and I'm assuming that the natural kind of flow was... They're disputing about who's going to betray him, like which of it's going to be, and that maybe would naturally go, well, I wouldn't do that. Why? Because look at who I am. I would never betray him, and that goes into this conversation about who's the greatest, and I, I have no idea what that conversation actually sounds like. It sounds really awful in my mind. Um, I'm the cleverest, right? I'm the smartest. We have this children's book. I'm the cleverest man among us. No, I'm the smart. No, you're not. No, you're not. No, 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 and they just start arguing, um, but I'm, I'm picturing Jesus Right? Everything that is going to happen. And what would that have been like for him uh, to hear that conversation going on? After what he's just communicated. And after three years of trying to communicate what he's all about to them. What life with him is all about. What, what life in the kingdom of God is all about. I can't imagine what that, how that would have hit him. Um, they're not necessarily denying him you know, like Peter, they're not necessarily betraying him, but they are, they're absolutely denying and betraying everything that he stands for with this conversation on the night before he dies. After three years, <laughs> right, still totally missing it, not getting it so hard of heart. So I, I just, I, this week, I'm like, I just put all that together, Jesus, Passover, giving his life And then these disciples, Judas, Peter, and the whole crew of them, and thinking about what that would have been like for Jesus, right? And I was just like, shoot, you know, like, like, oh, my gosh. Like, how brutal and disappointing and awful and just sad. And these are his guys. There's no other guys, right? These are the ones. These are the ones he's invested in. Uh, and here's where they're at. And, and, you know, they're not all bad. I, I had to, like, look at verse 28. I had to see that. Um, Jesus says to them, you are those who have stood by me in my trials. So these are, they have given up a lot for him. Uh, you know, they've stood with him through thick and thin. So it's not like they're completely unfaithful. It's just that they're, they're very, very imperfectly faithful, <laughs> maybe we could say. And I was thinking about that this week, and I was like, yeah, they're imperfectly faithful. And I thought, those are the only kinds of disciples Jesus has ever had. You know, imperfectly faithful disciples. Those are the only kinds of people God has ever had. And if you go back to the Passover story, the original with with the Jewish nation, and you watch who they were, and they were, you know, griping and moaning half the time. God's up on Sinai with Moses forming a covenant Right? Like this marriage with his people. Meanwhile, they're down the mountain worshiping the golden calf at the very same time. So imperfectly faithful. You think about the history of the church since Jesus, his disciples since then. 2,000 years of church history. A lot of um, imperfect (laughs) faithfulness. Church has some beautiful moments in history. The church has some really corrupt and sad moments. And usually some kind of mixture of both. And then just thinking of us gathered in this room on this uh, Palm Sunday. Uh, Very imperfectly faithful people sitting here. Um, We're gathered and we're here to worship the Lord. And for most of us, we're doing that in a very half-hearted, distracted, imperfectly faithful way. Um, We want to love uh, and yet um, sometimes we just find it hard to do. Or we find ourselves like these disciples in bed with the world's way of thinking about things, right? Longing for more status, comparing ourselves to others, full of greed, full of lust, jealousy, gossip, right? Not so different from these guys. So often denying true obedience to the Lord in order to pursue our own comforts. And our own securities. I relate to every single thing I've just said. And some good moments too, right? Moments of trust and obedience and faithfulness and joy and worship. Uh, but very imperfectly faithful people. Uh, and my point being, those are the only kinds of disciples Jesus has ever had. <laughs> and those are the kind of disciples he has in this moment, the night before his death. And so you have this this really interesting dynamic of the beauty and richness of what Jesus is doing in the context of the Passover meal, and then you have this other dynamic of all the imperfections and brokenness of his disciples. So then to bring this home, what do we see in Jesus in this? Like, how does he respond in the midst of the the conflict of those, those dynamics? Where's his heart in all this? Uh, and there's, there's a verse that struck me this, this week that was really encouraging to me, and it's verse 15. Take a look at verse 15 again. Um, this is what he says to them. I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. That's a strong language. It literally says, with desire, I have desired. That's the Greek, and so we translate that. I have eagerly desired desired to eat this meal with you. Or today we would say, I've been really looking forward to this meal with you all. And I'm thinking, how can he say that? (laughs) In light of like who they are and what happens to that? And like, how can he say, you know what? I've been really looking forward to being with you and sharing this meal together. And I think we can rule out maybe the possibility that he just had unrealistic expectations on the night. You know, like, he'd been thinking about that meal. It's kind of like family vacation, right? Like, you have these unrealistic expectations, then 30 minutes into, into the trip, the kids are fighting in the car, you know, that kind of thing. Like, that's a possibility. Like, he had a vision in his mind, right, of what he wanted this final meal to look like, and it's, it's not meeting expectations. Um, I think we can rule that one out. Um, because if you read verse 7 <laughs> through 14, you realize that he has um, supernatural insight into things, right? Like he sends the disciples to prepare this upper room. You're going to find this guy. He's going to have an upper room. Tell him the Lord needs it, and he's going to let you do this. So he sees everything, right? Like he knows what's going to happen. So there's no, there's no naivete in him. He sees it all, uh, and yet he still says, I, I've been eagerly looking forward to this. How can he say that? How can he say that knowing everything here? And I, I have two thoughts on that that, that I'll close with um, that really get at the heart of the gospel. And, and I think the first one is the most basic is, is this. How can he say that? How can he say that he's eagerly looking forward to this in light of who they are? I think it's this. He sees them and all of who they are and simply put, he loves them anyways. Right? I mean, he, he sees it. He knows it. He's been watching them for three and a half years. He knows their hearts. He sees it all. And he simply loves them, anyways, um, because he has that kind of love within him. It has very little to do with who they are. It has everything to do with the kind of love that this man has for his friends, for his disciples, because he's entered into a covenant with them. And that's what covenant love does. It loves, anyways. Right? That's that's what covenant love does. The The Greek word for that kind of covenant love is agape. Many of you know that. The Hebrew word is hesed. You've heard that one from me before. It is covenant love. Or we translate it steadfast love. Or faithful love. Or loyal love. It's the never giving up, never stopping kind of love. It's the for better or for worse covenant love. I love you when you're awesome. I love you when you're blowing it. I love you anyways. We're in covenant. We're in this together. And this is the kind of love Jesus has for his disciples. I love you anyways. I love you because I love you. (laughs) And you see with that kind of covenant binding love, there's all sorts of other qualities of Jesus that you see in this passage, like his forgiveness, his patience, his long suffering, right? With these knuckleheads, right? But it's all part of his, this covenant for better or worse kind of love. And this is, this is the good news that, that uh, we all need to hear every single day of our lives. He sees us. He sees it. He knows, he knows it's going to happen before it even happens. And he simply loves us anyways. And not only loves us, but I think even likes us. <laughs> right? I've eagerly desired to share this. You don't say that with people you have to love. You say that with people that you like, that you want to be with. There's a delight. There's a joy. There's an enjoyment. We're the bride of Christ. We are his bride. We've entered into covenant with him. He loves us anyways. I've eagerly desired to be with you. I wonder how different we would approach time in his word in the morning or just time in prayer with him if we woke up And we heard that voice in the back of our minds as we started our time. I've been really looking forward to this time with you this morning, Dave. You know, I've been really looking forward to this time. He loves us anyways. He loves these guys anyways. In all our imperfections, it's covenant love. And then there's one more thing, I think, that allows him to see these guys and all their imperfections, and yet say, I've eagerly desired this. And I hadn't really seen this until I studied this week. Not only does he just love them, anyways, but it's this. He is able to see beyond this present moment to what will one day be. And, and as I read this, I started to pick up, there's so many moments where he talks about the future kingdom in this passage, and I'd never seen that before. Look at verse 16. Uh, Verse uh, 15, right? Uh, I I have desired to eat this Passover. Why have I desired it? Verse 16, For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Or verse uh, 18. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. It's like he's looking at that current meal, but he's seeing it through the lens of a future meal, that this meal is a shadow of. It is the future meal, the meal of the kingdom of God, when he has passed through death and his resurrection, when he has restored all things, when he returns again, and we celebrate the wedding supper of the lamb, we enjoy and we feast in the kingdom of God when sin is no more, when pain is no more, when all, all of that has taken, taken place. And Jesus is saying, you guys keep doing this meal. I'm not doing it again until I do it when that kingdom comes. And I'm eagerly desiring this because I'm seeing through this meal to a future meal when all manner of things shall be well. And I think he's also seeing these guys in this moment through the lens of who they will one day be. If you look down, look at what he says in verse 28. Take a look at this. You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and he says this, and I confer on you a kingdom, just as my father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. He's looking through this meal to a future meal, when these guys and the kingdom comes will be leaders and rulers with him in this new creation that he creates, right? He's seeing them in light of who they will one day be. And I'm thinking, like, I confer on you a kingdom. I'm like, you're choosing these knuckleheads, right? You're conferring a kingdom on these guys in light of who they are? But he sees through that. To who they're one day going to be. And we get traces of that even in the book of Acts. These guys come alive. The Spirit invades their hearts. And you see this transformation. And he's thinking even beyond that to ultimately celebrating this feast with them when they have been perfected. And when all the imperfections are gone, all these this heart, half-hearted, you know, dullness of mind is gone. And they're these great rulers over God's people. And I think. That's the other thing we need to remember about Jesus, is that he not only loves us anyways right in the midst of our imperfections, but he sees beyond this present moment in our present moment to what we will one day be. Um, he can imagine it because he can actually see it. And so he can see us now through the lens of who we will one day be when he returns. And that is such good news because uh, there's a lot of us in this room who are real stuck in a moment right now. Like we, um, we are stuck in some deep stuff, um, deep patterns, right? Deep addictions, uh, half hearted dullness of mind. Some of you aren't even paying attention to any of this right now, <laughs> right? And, and, and we can't, honestly, sometimes you get to a place where you, can, you really can't imagine yourself as something other than that. Like, I don't, I don't have a lot of hope for the hope of myself. And, and so it, what's so beautiful is he not only can imagine it, but he can actually see it. And so he, he, he sees all this stuff, but he sees what will one day be. And so he can say, I eagerly desire to be with you because I don't just see you as you are now. I see you as you will one day be. Uh, one of my favorite passages is in Ephesians 5. Okay? I'm talking about husbands and wives, but it's this beautiful passage about Jesus. Remember, we're his bride, right? He entered into a covenant in his blood. And it, 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 look at how, how Jesus' love for his church is described. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ, the ultimate husband, loves his bride, the church. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her on this night, right? To do what? To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless, okay? He died for us so that one day he might present us to himself on that day of his coming, And on that day, this is how we will be. All the old sin washed away, perfected, holy, and blameless. Our love affair with the world will finally be severed. And our devotion to him, which has been so half-hearted all these years, will burn white hot for him. And our character will be perfectly shaped into these loving, courageous, wise, gentle, kind, faithful people and will look beautiful together. Amen. And he sees that now. And he's slowly loving us into what we will one day become. Paul says it in Philippians, he who began a good work will be faithful to bring it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. I'm going to leave you with an image of Jesus. This is a French painter, one of my favorites. Uh, This is entitled "Ecce Homo, which is French for behold the man, where Pilate presents Jesus to the crowd and says, behold the man. And so with this image that we've seen, I want to end by simply saying, behold your king today. Not the power-hungry, status-seeking king that people expected him to be, but the humble servant who offers his life as the Passover lamb for his people, who enters into a covenant with them, a covenant in his own blood, and who loves us right in the midst of all of our brokenness and sees beyond that to the day when we will be joined to him as his pure and spotless bride. So bride, behold your king on Palm Sunday. Let's pray. Lord, as we, as we enter into Easter week this week, as we've already prayed, would you just move in our hearts and minds this week? Would you deepen our understanding, deepen our appreciation, and deepen our experience of who you are, what you've done for us, especially your covenant love, the way you bring forgiveness and grace. And now you are walking with us We are your treasured possession. You are our God. We are your people. May we walk through this week as your people, remembering together the salvation we have, Lord. And even now as we celebrate communion, would you meet us at the communion tables? Uh, Whatever we need to experience from you, would you give it to us? Would you fill us again with yourself, Lord? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to celebrate communion. We have these tables. It's the table of the Lord up here. Uh, 1 Corinthians says this, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let's keep the feast, not with the old yeast of malice and wickedness, but with the bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. Paul, drawing back on the unleavened bread that the Israelites brought out, he's saying the Passover lamb's been sacrificed, so let's keep this feast, and let's not have any bad yeast in us. Um, let's have just purity and sincerity and truth. And so I want to invite you to come to these tables. And I, I want you to come in, in two ways. The first is to think about that idea of sincerity and truth. And, and just to, to simply say, come in the truth of who you are today. Meaning, whatever is going on in you, whatever brokenness, whatever rebellion, whatever sin, um, come in the truth of that. Don't hide that. But come before the Lord, who loves you anyways, and confess, acknowledge, Lord, this is who I am. This is what I've been doing. This is where I've wandered from you. Okay? Don't hide any of that. Come in truth and experience his forgiveness again and his mercy to you. He's your covenant partner. He loves you anyways. So don't hide it. And then second, just to remind you, this is a covenantal meal. It is a remembrance of that covenant. And so this might be an opportunity for you today to renew that covenant. Renew those covenant vows, if if I can put it that way. Uh, Renew your desire to follow him and to walk with him. And again, if there's ways that you've just been kind of wandering or just been, just maybe not even mindful or or intentional, say, God, as I see this picture of you, I want to renew my devotion to you. Would you strengthen my devotion to you? That I would be a faithful um, partner with you in this life. That I wouldn't deny you. So this might be an opportunity also to, to renew your commitment to him. But come to the tables. Um, as, whenever you're ready, you can come up to any one of these tables. Grab a piece of the bread. Dip it in the juice. Um, this is something we do together together. Um, we're going to sing three songs. Take your time. We have people in the living room space back there um, who'd love to pray with you if you want to receive prayer during this time. So whatever you need, um, this is our time with the Lord.